0: Welcome to the A and Global Podcast Series, addressing business concerns we face today. I'm Michael Niarcos, a managing director in the healthcare industry group at Alvarez and Marsal. I've spent a significant portion of my career in the pharmacy, PBM, and Medicare ecosystem, and currently lead our pharmacy and PBM service offering. Today, I'm joined by John O'Brien. John is a former senior advisor to the Secretary of Health and Human Services, and currently a partner at South Capital a research and policy solutions firm. For more information about John and South Capital, you can visit their website at www.southcapital.com. Today, John and I will cover the final version of the rebate rule, its origin and intent. We'll discuss the upcoming future for the rule and pathways to enactment. And finally, we'll touch on the implications to Medicare plans and other healthcare stakeholders. On November 20th, the Trump administration finalized two significant rebate rules for the Medicare program an update to Medicare Part B pricing, and its drug pricing rebate rule. When implemented, these rules will have significant implications for the Medicare program, health plans, and PBMs. The rebate rule in particular will impact MAPD and PDP offering design, but also the marketing, sale, and service of these products, including premium and copay structures, formularies and clinical programs, transition and retention of current members, and marketing and sales strategy. To help us better understand this rule today, we're joined by John O'Brien, who's a friend of Alvarez and Marcel. Welcome, John.
1: Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me today.
0: John, to kick us off, can you give the listeners some background on the origin and evolution of this rule?
1: Yeah, you know, when, when most people, real people, talk about uh, health care costs, they're talking about what they spend when they open their wallet. And the time that people open their wallet the most is at the pharmacy counter. Secretary Azar knew this, and Secretary Azar and I were were joined by a good friend, Dan Best. And Dan is no longer with us, but Dan spent a significant time working in the channel for both a manufacturer, a Part D plan startup, and then ultimately the largest Part D plan in the country. And what Dan and the secretary knew very well is that what people pay when they open their own pocketbook often doesn't reflect the rebate that's paid by the drug company to the health plan. So Dan and the secretary really wanted to help consumers where it mattered most, at the pharmacy counter when they were opening their wallets.
0: Well, that's great. So, John, if you've been keeping up on the news, we've already seen some concerns from various industry groups regarding this rule. What challenges might you expect to enactment or pathways forward?
1: Yeah, so so let me first say, you know, the, the biggest challenge that we had in putting together the rebate rule was that when we were brainstorming together, the three of us, how do we solve this problem? The only tool that we had in front of us at the time was the anti-kickback statute and the regulatory discount safe harbor, e.g. the rebate safe harbor that lives within the anti-kickback statute. We used the tools that we had to come up with a regulation that would address the out-of-pocket problem. We drafted a proposed rule, we got notice and comment, and then ultimately in June of 2019, the development and publication of a final rule was put on hold. And I say put on hold, other people like to use the word withdrawn. And that sets up the first challenge that this rule has in terms of implementation. I expect that there will be a um, well-grounded challenge under the Administrative Procedures Act. And the people that bring that challenge will say that this administration proposed a rule, they took comment under the Administrative Procedures Act procedures, and then ultimately decided not to finalize a rule. Now, those who are defending the rule will say, well, what the White House and the President and the Secretary said was, They've decided to withdraw the rule. They didn't actually withdraw the rule. They didn't publish in the Federal Register a formal withdrawal notice. My colleague, Kelly Cleary and I, who was one of our general counsel at HHS, and I wrote an article sort of describing one way to look at this. Our former OMB colleague, Bridget dueling wrote another article that described the other way to look at this. So I think the first challenge the rebate rule faces will be litigation under the Administrative Procedures Act, saying that they don't have the authority to go direct to a final rule because they pulled back their previous proposed rule. The second challenge that the rule faces is the Congressional Budget Office, when reviewing the proposed rule, said that the rule would increase federal spending by about $177 billion. And in terms of only in Washington money, that means the Congressional Budget Office is now going to increase the budget baseline by $177 billion. So that means if I'm a member of Congress and I have end of the year funding priorities and I'm trying to figure out where am I going to find the money to help community health centers or other constituencies that are facing the end of extension of funding programs, I could look at that $177 billion as money the government is currently going to spend, delay the implementation of the rule, and use that money to pay for some of the other funding priorities I have. So for those of you wonks that may be listening to this, it is almost the anti-SGR. The third fate that the rebate rule could face is when the next administration comes in, they will be within the effective date of this final rule. So they may decide, typically every time there's a transition, the White House chief of staff sends a memo to agency heads and says, uh, hey, let's put a pause on rulemaking for a moment and let's delay by 60 days the implementation date of any rulemaking that might've happened just before we got here. They may delay the implementation date of this regulation. And then after thinking about it, could decide to propose a new rule. And that new rule could make the old rule go away. Or that new rule could also delay the implementation date of the rule while they think about what other rulemaking they want to do. But they're going to have to move quickly if they're going to want to do that. And who knows where where they're going to go on drug pricing. They may expect some concessions if they're going to delay the implementation of this. And then the fourth thing is that this rule just sits out there. We've created a new safe harbor and there's a taking away of the current Discount Safe Harbor, as we know it, effective January 1st of 2022.
0: John, I really appreciate that. You know, I know the political environment is fairly complex. So it's pretty difficult to predict. But do you have any thoughts on near-term regulatory or legislative actions we could see around rebates or, more broadly, drug pricing?
1: Well, gosh, there's a, there's a couple things in there. You know, we talked about out-of-pocket costs. And, and one of the things that the White House and the House and the Senate all agreed on is that we need to do something to solve seniors' out-of-pocket costs in the Part D program. And there were a couple different bills floating around. The House passed H.R. 3, which you know has some things in it that not everybody loves. And the Senate had the uh, Grassy wyden proposal. Both of those proposals... Contained a cap on out-of-pocket costs for seniors and asking both Part D plans and manufacturers to bear more risk in the catastrophic phase of the program. So if we see serious redesign of the Part D program, the incentive to use drugs that have high list prices, large rebates, and low net costs may go away because kicking those high prices into the reinsurance phase where the government's picking up the majority of the costs would go away. If I'm a plan or a manufacturer and I have to bear that risk, I may want to think differently about how I price my products or how I purchase products that have higher prices. So one thing that could happen legislatively, and it's hard to get my arms around this in the middle of a pandemic with the fate of the Senate as of yet undecided, I don't necessarily know that Congress is going to agree in the next Congress exactly how they're going to redesign the Part D program. But that's one thing that could happen. The other thing that could happen, again, as we talked about, is sort of this anti-SGR approach. The mythical increased spending that would be created by the rebate rule would ultimately become just a future pay for other things, and, and they just keep it around as a piggy bank and delay it every year.
0: Got it. So let's Turn our attention for a second. Assume now that the rule is implemented in the near future, right? Without significant delay, what do you see as the immediate implications to Medicare plans, and how should they think about their next period or year?
1: You know, Michael, I am I am really sympathetic to the people that you work closely with in the plan implementation side. You know this calendar better than anybody, right? So if we work mm-hmm. backwards from, what is it, the first Monday in June when the Part D bids are actually due, there's already been a draft bid guidance provided by CMS to Part D plans for next year. And that draft guidance didn't contemplate a rebate rule being in effect. So I've heard from staff at CMS, I don't know this to be a matter of law, I haven't seen an HPMS memo or anything like that, but I believe that CMS is going to wanna put out some guidance that basically says, hey, look, this rebate rule wasn't our rule. This is the office of the inspector general. But we realize that you have to live in this new world, and there's some uncertainty out here. So whether they ask, God bless plan actuaries, whether they ask plans to submit two bids, whether they give some other instruction, I think remains to be seen. But the nearest term implication is, if I'm having conversations as either a manufacturer or a party plan, figuring out what my plan bid is gonna look like for 2022, I need some answers pretty quickly so I can submit an accurate bid.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree. I do think that this is a, a very interesting time for plans. And it does seem to me the prudent plan would be to prepare for these potential eventualities and likely organize around some major themes, your competitive strategy, your product redesign, Likely a series of renegotiation around prices, your marketing and sales strategy, and likely a fifth area just around coordination, because it's a significant amount of potential activity that you may have to be prepared for by the middle of the year.
1: Well, one of the not so near, but sooner rather than later term implications of this rule, assuming that it would go forward, is that. What the rule basically said was, hey, a a manufacturer is no longer permitted to provide money to a plan or their PBM unless that money goes directly to the beneficiary. And the comment letters that we received from the channel describe a number of different approaches. There were some novel vendors that had a different role in the marketplace. There were wholesalers and distributors. There are technology companies, all of whom came forward and said, you know what, let's have the drug companies stop sending the money to the plans, period. And we'll administer it with this series of, of chargebacks. And many people in the marketplace said, my gosh, like you're going to create a whole new system for moving money around one of the more challenging places that money moves around in this country. That, that's going to be a really big lift. And the plan said, you know what, look, if, if you're going to do this, and, and we wish you wouldn't do this, but if you're going to do this, at least allow the money to continue to come to us and let us find a way to to distribute it to people at the point of sale. And When you look at some of the integration that exists out there, there were ways that, that many people proposed that they could do that. The other implication that I feel many of the plan and manufacturer lawyers are thinking about is... The rule creates an exception for the payment of bona fide service fees, provided that they're based on fair market value. And there could be a whole conversation centered around look, some of these PBMs are creating new entities, some are calling themselves GPOs now. There could be a movement afoot to create new fees for scrubbing data or belonging to our GPO. And I think the only guidance that was really given in the rule is if this is based on what the market really believes it costs to perform these functions, those fees are okay. If it's based on the cost of the drug, you know, you you don't have to pay a program or more to clean up data for an expensive drug than you do for a a lower cost drug. So so there's going to be a whole new school of thought around how do we design fees, and that's going to create, I believe, a lot of pressure on the PBM and pharmacy channel to have to start saying, well, once upon a time, we said that all of these rebates were used for premiums, and now we're saying, well, we took some money out of those rebates to be able to pay for our operation, and as the PBM industry has sort of evolved from just a Look, we provide administrative service, we pay claims, we're going to keep a a couple pennies on, on the transaction to be able to provide those claims. As the size of that revenue has grown, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on them to tease out what is a bona fide market value fee.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great transition point. You know, we've spent a good amount of time in this conversation talking about Medicare and Medicare plans, but likely this is a introduction of what could be a significant impact across the commercial marketplace. And I was curious your thinking on how this rule could impact the broader ecosystem.
1: There there are a couple of three things that come to mind there. The first is one of the critiques of this rule was that it's only applicable with the force of law, to federally funded programs, e.g. Medicare Part D, and the final rule ultimately decided not to affect managed Medicaid plans. So the drug company CEOs who attended the Senate Finance Committee briefing were all asked the question, if this rebate rule goes through, Will you lower your prices and will you lower them across the board in the commercial market as well? So there's this question that we could have sort of two sets of prices, one for Part D plans, one for the rest of the marketplace. That, of course, raises the what happens if you squeeze the balloon on, on one side question, where does the year go? It also sort of shakes up price reporting. And all of the systems that exist, like how does a pharmacy maintain different sets of prices? How do plans maintain different sets of prices? I think that has the potential to create some really big picture uncertainty out there. And again, I know that there are a number of vendors out there who would be happy to solve that problem for the marketplace. But the other concern that people have raised, and and I think it's a really valid concern, is if I'm a Part D plan and, and all of this is fully implemented and i'm no longer able to collect the revenue or money that funds operations via rebate i'm going to be looking for other ways to raise money and one of those are the fees charged to manufacturers that we talked about but there's another kind of direct and indirect remuneration and that's the money that plans charge pharmacies presumably to adhere to a quality program and only because they've failed to met published easy to understand quality measures But the pharmacy community has been up in arms about DIR for quite some time, and there's a lot of uncertainty in the pharmacy DIR space and what that actually means to them. So I think there's going to be some significant pressure on pharmacy DIR. And the third thing that comes to mind is there are some upstarts in the channel out there that don't view themselves as traditional PBMs. There are some employers out there who are starting to say we're only going to deal with PBMs who are willing to provide us NDC 11 level net prices. So, so there's a lot of sort of future disruption and, and innovation out there. And I'll tell you, all of these things are things I'd love to talk with you about the next time we get together.
0: John, I agree. I think this topic is incredibly broad. We could spend significant amount of time discussing it. And I think our listeners would probably benefit from some dedicated time on that. So thank you.
1: Well, thank you. And I think your listeners could definitely benefit from hearing it from someone who knows as much about this channel as you do.
0: I appreciate that. Well, John, thank you for your generous time and your insights today. We'll certainly be watching together the evolution of this role and its impact on the marketplace in the coming weeks. For our listeners, for more insights on the Medicare program, health plans, managed care organizations, and PBMs, please visit our website at www.alvarezandmarcel.com. Once again, I'm Michael Niarcos. Thank you again for listening to our program on the rebate rule and its impact on the Medicare marketplace. Alvarez and Marcel. Leadership, action, results.